Hello. Welcome to Science Factual. Prepare yourself for factual download. Sequence commencing. Hello there, I'm your host, Reese Hendrick, and welcome to Science Factual, the show that dives into the facts behind your favorite science fiction. Today's topic is a thick one as we take a look into the Fringe television series. Seriously, there are 100 episodes at roughly 50 minutes apiece, so this is a major investment like the Dark series I did with Matt Franco for episode 33, or Battlestar Galactica, which I covered with Logan Lothmiller for episode 23. But much like those series, Fringe is very much worth the time investment and came as a suggestion from today's guest comedian, Mary Grawl. Now, I grew up as an X-Files kid with a Mulder complex, scanning the skies, hoping to see proof that we're not alone. Plus, Fox Mulder is an awesome name. We will definitely be covering X-Files later this year, most probably as a two-parter because, speaking of time investment, that series spans 11 seasons with 218 episodes to ingest. At any rate, all that is to say that I was primed to get into this trippy series that is Fringe. But before we start dosing each other, hopping into isolation tanks and accessing implanted memories, I think it's about time for a SPOILER ALERT! SPOILER ALERT! Because although there are plenty of one-off episodes to choose from throughout the series, I will be getting into the setup synopsis and season 1 recap that leads into the remaining 4 out of 5 seasons that make up the show. Alright, now, Fringe is an American science fiction television series created by J.J. Abrams, who's best known for such films as Regarding Henry, Forever Young, Armageddon, Cloverfield, Star Trek, Star Wars The Force Awakens, and Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Co-creators of the show are Alex Kurtzman and Roberto Orsi. Fringe premiered on the Fox Network on September 9, 2008 and concluded on January 18, 2013 after five seasons and 100 episodes, just reaching the syndication mark. The series follows Olivia Dunham, Peter Bishop, and Walter Bishop, all members of the fictional Fringe Division of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, based in Boston, Massachusetts, under the supervision of Homeland Security. The team uses Fringe science and FBI investigative techniques to investigate a series of unexplained, often ghastly occurrences which are related to mysteries surrounding a parallel universe. The series has been described as a hybrid of fantasy, procedural dramas, and serials, influenced by films like Altered States, which we just covered for the season 2 opener with Michael Garcia, and television shows such as Lost, the aforementioned X-Files, and The Twilight Zone, which I covered with Elijah Meng for episode 44. The series began as a traditional Mystery of the Week series and became more serialized in later seasons. Most episodes contain a standalone plot, with several others also exploring the series' overarching mythology. Critical reception was lukewarm at first, but became more favorable after the first season when the series began to explore its mythology, including parallel universes and alternate timelines. The show, along with cast and crew, were nominated for many major awards, and despite its move to the Friday night death slot and low ratings, the series developed a cult following. It also spawned two six-part comic book series and an alternate reality game, as well as three novels.
Fringe follows the casework of the Fringe Division, a joint federal task force supported primarily by the Federal Bureau of Investigation, which includes Agent Olivia Dunham, Dr. Walter Bishop, the archetypal mad scientist, and Peter Bishop, Walter's estranged son and jack-of-all-trades. They're supported by Philip Broyles, the force's director, and Agent Astrid Farnsworth, who assists Walter in laboratory research. The Fringe Division investigates cases relating to fringe science, ranging from transhumanist experiments gone wrong to the prospect of a destructive technological singularity to a possible collision of two parallel universes. The Fringe Division's work often intersects with advanced biotechnology developed by a company called Massive Dynamic, founded by Walter's former partner, Dr. William Bell, and run by their common friend, Nina Sharp. The team is also watched silently by a group of bald, pale white men who are called observers. Season 1 introduces the Fringe Division as they investigate cases that form The Pattern, geographically centered around Ryden Lake in New York State, many of which are orchestrated by an international network of rogue scientists known as ZFT, which stands for Zesturung der Fortschritte der Technologie, or in English, since I most likely butchered that, Destruction Through Advancement of Technology, led by David Robert Jones, who are preparing for a doomsday event. The ZFT threat appears to end when Peter kills Jones as he attempts to travel to a parallel universe. Olivia comes to learn that she was a child test subject for Walter years ago for a nootropic drug called Cortexafan, giving her weak psionic abilities. Walter also struggles with adjusting to normal life in Peter's care after having lived for 17 years in a mental institution while hiding the fact that Peter is from the parallel universe, his Peter having died as a child. I'm going to leave the synopsis at the edge of the first season because the remainder of the show does hinge on revelations from this season leading into the other ones. Aside from four leading into five, five is a little bit of a standalone, uh, but definitely leading from one into four, it does pick up and become more serialized. Also, if you have a keen ear, the tune you just heard contains the completed musical number from Season 1, Episode 8, The Equation, which is titled after the episode and was performed by Chad Sater. And speaking of writing music, show creator J.J. Abrams wrote the show's intro song. Alright, let's get into the cast here of the show. Up first, we have show lead Anna Torrey, who plays Olivia Dunham, a Northwestern University-educated FBI agent who is assigned to investigate the spread of unexplained phenomena. She later discovers Walter performed tests on her when she was a child using the nootropic drug Cortexafan, giving her unusual abilities. Tori also plays Olivia's counterpart in the alternate universe, dubbed by the characters of the Prime Universe as Folivia. Joshua Jackson plays Peter Bishop, who is a jack-of-all-trades and is brought in as a civilian consultant by Olivia to work with his estranged father, Walter. Peter is actually Walternet's son from the alternate universe, abducted by Prime Walter shortly after his own Peter's death at a young age. Then we have John Noble as Dr. Walter Bishop, a former government researcher in the field of fringe science who was seen as a mad scientist and institutionalized after a lab accident in which his assistant was killed. Noble also portrays Walter's alternate, dubbed Walternet, by the characters in the Prime Universe. 
Walternet rose to power as the U.S. Secretary of Defense and instigated the war against the Prime Universe after the abduction of his son Peter. We also have Lance Reddick, who plays Philip Broyles, a Homeland Security agent and senior agent in charge who runs the Fringe Division. Reddick also portrays Broyles' alternate, known as Colonel Broyles, who finds sympathy for Olivia and sacrifices himself during the third season to allow her to escape the parallel universe. Then we have Jessica Nicole, who plays Astrid Farnsworth, an FBI junior agent and assistant to Olivia and Walter. Nicole also plays Astrid's counterpart in the alternate universe, who has behavior similar to Asperger's syndrome, which was included as tribute to Nicole's sister, who is on the neurodivergent spectrum. We also have Blair Brown, who plays Nina Sharp, the chief operating officer of Massive Dynamic, a leading firm in science and technology research and longtime friend of Walter and William. She also plays her doppelganger in the parallel universe within the alternate timeline of season four as an agent for David Robert Jones's plans. Then we have Kirk Acevedo as Charlie Francis, an FBI senior agent, and Olivia's colleague and close friend, and the second in command of the Fringe Division before his demise. Though Charlie is killed early in the second season, Acevedo reprises the role of Charlie in the alternate universe. For season one, we have Mark Valley as John Scott, who was Olivia's former FBI partner and secret lover, whose death in Pilot leads Olivia to join the Fringe Division. And we also have Seth Gable as Lincoln Lee, an agent of the Parallel Universe Fringe Division. The Prime Universe version of Lincoln, also played by Gable, was introduced in the episode Stowaway as a special agent stationed at the FBI building in Hartford, Connecticut, later joining Fringe Division within Season 4. Alright, let's get into some facts behind the show before that dose that Walter just gave us starts to kick in. Now, the original plan was to call the show The Lab, given that most of the significant discoveries would take place in Walter's laboratory. However, the title put more focus on the physical location than the science itself. Instead, the show's name was changed to Fringe to showcase the fringe science that would be explored each week. Speaking of exploring fringe science, it's fairly obvious off the bat that the team is going to be involved in some less-than-safe scenarios, and in many episodes, the team can be found examining hazardous, unknown substances. They invariably do so without any form of protective clothing or protocol, at least for the first few episodes. And in several episodes, the FBI-issued SUV that Agent Olivia Dunham drives can be seen to have the registration plate 1C3PO1. Creator J.J. Abrams was, of course, the director for Star Wars Episode 7 and Star Wars Episode 9. There's a second FBI SUV in the show that has the plate 1R2D21. I'm surprised they didn't have a BB-8 up in there. Now, when Walter gets his old lab back, we can see a cow inhabiting the space. Peter Bishop explains that since cows are genetically very similar to humans, and experiments can simulate the effect they would have on humans, they are ethically acceptable test subjects when using a human might prove lethal. Oh, and the cow's name is Jean. However, unless you had a keen bovine eye, you wouldn't notice that it was different cows that appear throughout the various seasons. Once the show's production moved to New York, Jean had to be recast due to restrictions on transporting livestock from Canada to the United States. While the first season was airing, The Observer could be spotted on other Fox programming, such as in the audience of American Idol or on the sidelines of NFL and NASCAR events. There are also a lot of deep-cut pop culture references peppered in throughout the show, like in the alternate reality, Eric Stoltz is billed as the actor of Back to the Future. 
Eric Stoltz was originally cast in the role before being replaced by Michael J. Fox. There are a ton of cameos throughout the series as well, including Star Trek actor William Sadler, who plays Luther Sloan, leader of Section 31 in Deep Space Nine, or Chadwick Boseman, R.I.P. Black Panther, or Peter Weller from Robocop, or Christopher Lloyd from Back to the Future in Star Trek III The Search for Spock. And the list goes on, including Star Trek alum Leonard Nimoy, who would be added to the cast for the Season 1 finale in 2009, playing the role of Walter Bishop's former lab partner, Dr. William Bell and his character was extended into the following season with a more extensive arc. However, with the announcement of his retirement, fans of the show were heartbroken that Bell would not return to the series. In fact, his character was considered dead after the season 2 finale, effectively ending his guest appearances. Despite his retirement, Nimoy agreed to return to the role once again to conclude his character's storyline in 2011. He returned in animated form for the Season 3 episode Lysergic Acid Diethylamide and in a computer-generated role for Season 4. His depiction of Dr. William Bell stands as his last television on-screen acting appearance before his death on February 27, 2015 at the age of 83, although he did provide his voice for a Spock action figure on The Big Bang Theory in 2012, he was not in fact seen on camera. Now, after the poor ratings for the fourth season, Fox announced that Fringe would conclude with the fifth and final season. Given only 13 episodes, the network ensured the series would hit the 100-episode mark necessary for syndication. With a final season that tied up many of the mysteries of the show, creator J.J. Abrams gave the show a proper send-off. Although Abrams has been considerably busy since the conclusion of the show, he's yet to make his return to sci-fi. He's had several other roles, such as executive producer and composer, for different shows, uh, but he has not yet headed a new television series in the sci-fi genre. Unless, of course, you count Almost Human, which you almost shouldn't, due to the series only boasting the one season. Up next, we have an interview with the very funny Mary Grawl. We met up before the weekly comedy open mic at My Father's Place, hosted by Michael J. Phelps. Definitely worth checking out if you're a fan of comedy. The mic starts at 9, but the food and drinks are always on deck, so stop by any old time. My Father's Place is conveniently located at 529 Southeast Grand Avenue in beautiful Portland, Oregon. Love a good parallel dimension. Yes, I love that. It's been like a really good premise for me. I feel like that's just clicked really well. Fringe was the first parallel universe like show that i ever watched and i loved it yeah. i just thought that was such a cool idea and they made it in such a good way too where i feel like they had so many different characters that were like not exact clones but just a little bit different i really liked that where they had like slightly different personalities and motives and stuff i I love Walter and his alternate You version. mean his alternate? Alternate, yeah. yeah. <laughs> his, uh, well, we'll get to favorite characters, but spoiler mm. alert, Walter's my favorite. Yeah. He's such a sweetheart. Yeah. I mean, like, you can't, I, although the his alternate is a bastard. Oh my God, hate him. But like, I completely understand Straight his origin bastard. story. Yeah. Uh, so it, it makes sense. But, oh my God, yeah. Walter is just like a bubbly character i have no idea how he gets so enthusiastic about some of the most morbid shit well, that he, happens in the show he loves dealing with drugs and who doesn't? <laughs> yeah i mean he's, a, true, yeah. he's an experimentalist for sure well the voice other than my own folks that you're hearing this is mary wall oh just kidding it's mary grawl mary wall is your alternate <laughs> oh, God, yeah. person that i've made up now out okay. of nowhere mary before we get started what's your instagram uh, my instagram is mary.grawl 
I like it. It's just, straightforward. It's straightforward. Yeah. Right yeah. to the point. Very good. Uh, you know, all these people with these fancy Instagram handles right. like Reese underscore comedy dot EXE. <laughs> yeah. What does it even mean? <laughs> right. Nobody what are you knows. trying to do? I don't know. Try to yeah. be funny, I guess. No, I Whatever. <laughs> uh, speaking of being funny, how did you get your start in stand up comedy? I actually, I started in about March of this year. I haven't been doing it for very long, but I saw an advertisement for a helium class, mm. um, like a stand-up 101 course, and I really loved watching stand-up comedy, and I like sort of thought about doing it, but I didn't ever want to be on a stage so i thought the class would just be a really good place to like learn how to write jokes and it turns out that it did involve also going on stage and at that point when i was like okay well now that i've paid for it i can't back out nice yeah accountability so yeah Yeah. i ended up i heard the classes at helium are good yeah Yeah, i loved it fantastic yeah helium's a great club just in and of Mm -hmm. itself too and i would say the forefront club now that now that it wasn't before harvey's closed but now that harvey's Mm -hmm. has closed yeah. I mean, I would say it is the premier comedy club in Portland. Definitely. Uh, not to mention the open mic on Tuesdays. Yeah. Which yeah. is a great place to skin your teeth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you want to make sure that you're funny in front of a crowd of people, that's a good place to do it. Yeah. Because I mean, if you uh, if you bomb at helium, right. you yeah. might need to reevaluate. Yeah. You're kind of fucked. Yeah. Uh, no, that right. was what, what, but that lifted my my first ever like in front of people show was at helium for the graduation of that class okay and that went so overwhelmingly well that i was that was enough to push me into actually going to like mics and i think you're very funny thank you yeah i've seen you perform in various settings whether it be mics or on showcases Mm -hmm. and you know you've got awesome stage presence and thank you your material brings me a chuckle (laughs) that's for sure yeah no you as well Oh, cheers. So, outside of comedy, what's your first exposure to science fiction? Um, my first exposure to science fiction was, like, growing up, I loved reading, and I probably read a bunch of science fiction stuff. Um, I used to really like this author named Mary Downing Hahn, who, like, wrote a bunch of, like, ghost stories, time travel stuff. Uh, Mary Downing Hahn? Yeah. Okay. Um, never, she's from Seattle. And I read her books, like, all through elementary school, and a lot of them were, like, kind of scary, or, like, borderline, like, horror, but I liked it a lot. There were a couple of also parallel universe plots, and So kind of like a Twilight, like Twilight Zone-esque yeah. set of, you know, exactly. stories, and so, like, a short story type of collection yeah. thing. Yeah, okay. It's easy to read, so I would just go through those. Sure. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right on. Well, uh, what about Fringe? Fringe was probably very shortly after, or right around the same time. I started watching Fringe with my dad when I was probably seven or eight. We were watching it as it was airing. Dads are the best at, like, <laughs> watch stuff that you shouldn't Definitely be watching. Shouldn't be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. That was a trend. I remember he showed me The Walking Dead as well mm. when that was coming out. Mm-hmm. And I was probably, I was in fifth grade mm. and I had told my Girl Scout troop about it and they asked me to leave. <laughs> uh, they, they didn't think it was appropriate, but. I did the same thing at a sleepover with House of a Thousand Corpses. <laughs> yeah. And they were like, what is that? That doesn't sound very fun because it was all like the proto Marvel stuff. Like mm-hmm. back when the first Hulk came out with, uh, what's his face? Edward Norton. So picked it up pretty early. 
Yeah. I'm a rewatcher. Have you like? Cause I need to watch things multiple times, to, yeah. which I definitely need to do with Fringe because it is like mm. a modern day X Files. Yes. Um, I watched Fringe like before I watched X Files too, and I loved mm. it so much more. But um, so hard question. Uh huh. Fringe or X Files? Definitely Fringe. Okay. I I don't know. I feel like I grew up with it. Like it's also like a nostalgia factor to me. Sure. So which I, is why I, I would choose X Files. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. X Files was a little bit older style too so oh, i didn't feel yeah. like it well it's like have you seen old unsolved mysteries and new unsolved mysteries old unsolved mysteries is very 90s mm -hmm. and it has this like 90s production feel and value yeah. to it new unsolved mysteries is like a netflix doc right where I, I feel like you can apply the same filters to x files versus fringe yeah definitely yeah. and x files didn't have nearly as many lens flares courtesy of jj abrams no, very, very fond of the lens flares i mean star trek the the kelvin series mm -hmm. films are they rely on scenes <laughs> yeah. lens flare action to perpetuate the story yeah loves that shit but yes, I've watched, I've rewatched Fringe uh, a couple of times. I watched the series, I want to say, all the way through with my dad as it was airing. And then I went back to it. I don't really remember what brought me back when I was probably in seventh or eighth grade. And then I rewatched it again during the pandemic. So 2020. Well, I think that sequence of rewatches kind of speaks to the fact that we we rewatch things because it's familiar and it's something mm -hmm. that we can kind of speak to. Like when I was in the early throes of the pandemic, I was rewatching all sorts of Star Trek because it was familiar to me in an unfamiliar time. Yeah. So yeah, I definitely get that kind of rewatchability, and it has that like like fringes like because you could watch it two three times and be like, oh shit, I didn't realize that the first time. Yeah, big time. Oh which, my gosh, which I'll need to do because I, I mean yes. I, I unfortunately had to give a little bit of a cursory because there are over a hundred episodes over the course of no, five seasons. Understandable, yeah. Uh, and they are like thirty to forty minutes a pop. Yeah. Uh, so it is an investment, folks. If you're going to get up into fringe territory, <laughs> yeah, uh, is... you will be on the fringe of your friends group because they it's will not know what you're talking about if you're just like offload all of your fringe knowledge because it, it deals with a lot oh absolutely so much but really i would say transhumanism is the underlying that and the parallel dimension component yeah like are the two real underlying things because massive dynamic is really like at the forefront of scientific development yeah and shout out leonard nimoy r.i.p mm -hmm. uh as william bell uh was super stoked to like find because i I can't help but spoil myself just because of the nature of the research that I do for the show. So, like, yeah. I have to, like, set off my own spoiler alert before yeah. I even oh, do I any you. sort of uh -huh. research into the topic at hand. But, like, when I saw that Leonard Nimoy was involved, I was, like, full throttle. Like, all right, yeah, no, let's get in the fridge. Let's yeah. go. Yeah, it was fantastic. Uh, have you read any of the comics or played the video games? Because I didn't realize it was so expansive. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. my gosh. I remember, like, trying to... I was, like, really hoping that there would be more stuff. Yeah, because I know There's like, some stuff. oh man, I wish I knew that when I was younger. Oh, man, I would have loved that when I was young. Well, but, I, it's still out there. Or now, yeah. Yeah, it's still out there. Right? Definitely look uh, into that. I'm sure that if you were to call into your local comic book store, which there are many here in Portland, shout out oh, Cloud Nine Comics across from the Clinton Street Theater in is that still Brooklyn, Lower Southeast? Mm -hmm. No, there's uh, one on Mississippi too. Well, I gotta go to Mississippi Records anyway to. Oh, yeah. Get my three-in-one fixed. So, do you have a favorite character? Um, I know that's that's a hard question. Yeah, it is. It can change per season. Yeah. No, for... Oh, my gosh. I remember, like, the first season I was really, like, 
I feel like the most consistent though is Olivia Dunham, but yeah. Peter changes throughout the course so many times. He's just a roller coaster of a character that I is Peter not the most consistent character because his oh. his base perspective is one of the only ones that shifts from dimension to dimension, right? Because uh. like, he he's pulled from originally he's pulled from the alternate yes to Walter's prime. Mm-hmm. And then he goes back and forth in the in a timeline reset with September and that whole arc with yeah. the observers. He, he is the most present. Yeah. And I think it's because his prime doppelganger died. died. I yeah. think that's why he's able he's to transverse child. all of the yeah, yeah. various. He literally, he literally transcends time and space. I yeah. Mean, like, like at first, I thought he was a snarky asshole, but he does change. Yeah. yeah. No, I do. I don't know. I kind of liked his like attitude, though. I liked that he, yeah, sort of like stuck with his gut of just being like, I'm not interested in this. But then I really liked him, and he was like cooperating. And then I just near the end, am I allowed to talk about that? Oh yeah. Okay. Spoiler alert's been issued. Yeah. Okay, perfect. And near the end of it, after his and Olivia's daughter dies, and then he like starts lying to people, like steals the observer tech, installs it in himself. I I'm just like, what the hell? Like, this character was someone that I really enjoyed, and I feel like, I don't know, also grief is a weird thing that sure. you'll have different reactions to, but I do feel like in that moment I was like, I don't, I can't get behind what he's doing. Uh, mm. But really, it's ultimately Walter who sacrifices himself. Yeah. Right? To restore balance to some sort of timeline. And I, to, I, I, it's rare for me to, like, have a teardrop come to the core <laughs> for things because I've been so desensitized by media. Yeah. But when the white lilac <gasps> oh, the comes white, up at the, at the, the end. The tulip, yeah. Tulip. White mm-hmm. tulip, thank you. Yes. White tulip uh, comes up at the end to oh, Peter. I was like, oh, that's no, that is by, very sweet. Brought, brought a little, little tear yeah. to my eye. Uh, also, shout out Nina Sharp. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, well, I, I do. I do love Nina Sharp just because, like, I love a game player. Yeah. Also, that's Blair Brown. Uh, the last episode, season two opener, was on Altered States, and she mm-hmm. played Emily Jessup, which is the oh, wife no of way. the main character yeah. in the movie. So that's her her first okay. on film appearance, huh. or at least her first nude on film appearance. Mm-hmm. She doesn't get nude in the fringe. No, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> But it's it's just it's cool to see her like in another sci-fi vehicle yeah. all these years later, because mm-hmm. uh, that came out in 1980. Oh yeah, so, yeah. yeah like, Maybe a little bit. And there's a lot of you know you see a lot of sci-fi holdovers in this series. Like mm-hmm. Leonard Nimoy, and I'm sure amongst others oh, yeah. that have had bit parts in, in various things. Do you identify with a particular character? I would like to. I don't know. I do kind of identify with a, with Olivia. Okay. Um, Which Olivia? Our prime. Or yeah, alternate? our prime. Okay. Um, she is just very smart, and I I like her ability to sort of separate work from her life in the beginning. Really good at compartmentalizing, for yeah. sure. Yeah. I, her strength in moving forward with the mm-hmm. wiggediest, like like you're just out encountering the fringe division out of mm-hmm. nowhere. And she's just coasting through. Is Boyle's a bastard? Sorry, I know that's a quick aside, but like, is he? Uh, is he? Okay, well, I, first episode, yeah, I fucking hate. Oh, him. oh, yes. I, I, if he says sweetheart, won't work. Oh my time. god, I literally. Kill somebody. I, I hate the way that he treats Olivia, and especially because like his uh, hostility towards her is because like she put his buddy away for sexually assaulting people. Like she does address that as and well. What's so, like, his nuts? 
who comes back who she also put away for sexual misconduct who then comes back to investigate the fringe division in the first oh yeah 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 what an asshole no but but, i mean it it does speak to that character in government which was certainly he grows definitely because i mean yeah yeah Yeah. uh he becomes one of their like biggest supporters and then near the very end of the series he helped them a lot okay uh See, that's that's kind of like the nuances that I'm missing. Mm-hmm. Are is like his arc yeah. summary, because I'm sure there's a lot of that in season five. Because like, mm-hmm. well, season four does a lot of wrap ups too. Oh yeah. There, there's it, it really like see, the end of season four offshoots season five in a major way. Like it yeah. wouldn't like season five wouldn't exist independently without right the recap or like the events that transpire in the end of season four. So yeah, season five I think was just kind of an outlier in itself because that pretty much that part like strictly focuses on like the observer the observers and the parallel universes. Where like I feel like in the first couple seasons they're very focused on just episode by episode uh, sure. cases instances cases yeah. yeah as opposed to story arcs so mm-hmm. that brings me to my next question like do you have a favorite season or story arc like because that could be an individual character arc a story arc or a season because like stories can span and often do span multiple seasons if not yeah. two conjoining seasons i love september's uh, i do too yeah the big old redemption for september right also anybody who's Rock and no eyebrows is cool. Yeah, like that's a, it's a cool look. there's like just an episode where he like orders a sandwich and he like empties the jar of like black pepper oh, yeah. on the sandwich, puts like that's twelve jalapenos, yeah, yeah, on his, yeah, and, like, at, the, at the construction site, yeah. Right. The and you're just like, yeah. what the fuck is this dude doing? But and yeah, they have like no hair for some reason, but um, well, it's, it's that future shit. Yeah, because like they've they've fucked up right, yeah, the future they, so bad that they yeah. Uh, their their whole apparently we don't need eyebrows in the future which i'm on i'm on board with yeah they don't even live by time because i there was an episode in season two where they found the like baby observer yeah which um michael right i believe yes i think that's what they ended up calling him because douglas once he loses his observer powers yes right like he becomes a, a human ostensibly and mm-hmm. procreates to have Michael, but Douglas was September after he was like outed yeah. by the observers. Then they kind of took him <clears throat> out, but yeah. there's a lot of fuckery involved. Yeah, I, like it's again. I need a deeper. I need. I personally need to do a deeper dive into it. <laughs> okay. I, I, I have like a cursory understanding of, of what transpired because mm-hmm. I was like speed watching through yeah. episodes. No, understandable. Yeah. I mean, that he was there for, like, every important moment and everything through, like, Peter and Walter's interactions from when, you know, Peter was sick to when Walter crossed over to help Peter's alternate and then ended up taking him and then ended up getting hurt. And Walter's arc is my favorite simply because mm-hmm. he does redeem oh, himself. Oh, Because he sets the whole thing in motion. Yes. By taking Peter from the alternate universe because his Peter was dying because he, he was right. going to deliver he was going to grab the cure for yeah. the alternate and bring it back but fucks it up and he came yeah he had good intentions of like helping him of like just there. bringing him the medicine right. and then ended up yeah and not going as planned and then of course he can't I kind of understand the idea of like him taking this boy in yeah. you know getting him healthy and then being like well shit now I can't give him up again because right, he yeah. just lost it yeah right of course but no, it stands to reason. It's somebody who kind of is in that wooey woo scientific realm. You know, they're just like, well, I guess I got this kid down. Yeah, you'd know? yeah, be like, 
yeah. he, was he gonna miss him? Yeah, right. I don't know. And I mean, the other alternate was kind of realizing he was giving up on finding a cure. Oh yeah, making well, the medicine well, he, anyway. He created the doomsday machine, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. That, like based on Peter's biology. Like, it's it was a mm. whole. He kind of literally swings the pendulum to the other side of like, right. not caring about here, but rather using him like, to destroy because yeah. of his feeling of loss. Yeah. yeah. No, it was. It's very harrowing the the way that the butterfly effect affects all different characters across the two different universes. Yeah. And I'm glad that they didn't pull a dark, you know, the dark series. Uh huh. Where it's like I know that time is involved with this, but it's not like you're in the observer's timeline for too long it's like separate events yeah. that like cycle back to the beginning of the whole impetus of the sequence of events in the series but mm-hmm. with dark it's like you got to put on your conspiracy diaper for that one because you're like yeah dedicating more time than you have to get up to even go to the bathroom yeah. You have to be watching dark. Yeah, all you the cannot time. miss a moment. Also, of with it. a German English dictionary, yeah, yeah, you don't have subtitles. Yeah. yeah, I've heard. I've heard that's a difficult one. It is. It can be because you have to. Be, you have to pay attention. You can't right. like absentmindedly be on your phone and be like uh, yeah. run it back. You got to be reading subtitles. Yeah, yeah. You, you don't have I mean? time to. Like, I don't have the attention around. span to be reading subtitles. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have a least favorite character? Uh, Walternet. Walternet. Yeah. I... There's just not a lot of positive interactions that we have with him. I mean, and you're always rooting for the prime characters. Uh, sure. You know, with Olivia Dunham and Peter and Prime Walter, you know, you want those guys to succeed. Mm. You've seen them come together. I mean, you've kind of seen their whole story. And then Walter is just trying to obliterate their universe because, you know, it they come to a conclusion of like, okay, there's too many cracks in between these, so only one of them can survive, right. and his plan is to just get rid of that one. Which there. has massive implications. Yeah. <laughs> we're talking about a whole realm of reality. Right. And I, I feel like that kind of cavalier attitude is like, uh, I don't know, it is prevalent in a lot of alternate timeline or alternate reality science fiction, where it's like, I don't give a shit about the yeah. billions of people who happen to be existing right. in, in this plane of existence. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. I do like, though, that they incorporated, like, an alternate 9-11. Where oh, the, my God. Yeah, yeah where that the was... Twin Towers are still mm-hmm. standing, but, the, like, 9-11 transpired, but in a different yes. way. That was something that they called back to yeah. quite a few times, because yeah. I remember there was an episode where uh, there was a crack or something where there was two overlapping buildings from the universes that collided. Mm. And there was a man who had, like, him and his alternate had morphed bodies because they happened to be at the same place at the same time. Mm. And they asked him, they were like, do you remember 9-11? And he was like, yeah, the plane went into the Pentagon and the White House. And they were like... He doesn't mention the Twin Towers. Right, and so they were like, oh, that's how we know you're not from... Yeah. Like, you are an alternate, so... Well, and I like that William Bell sets up in the South Tower. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, I, I mean, I know that, like, mm-hmm. this shouldn't exist. Yeah, yeah. Nothing this. This is my evil, that like, Sauron right. Tower. Right. Would you let Walter experiment on you? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. it has... I know it's definitely helped it in so many... It does fuck up. Yeah. It does fuck up. I mean, but it a, lot does help a lot of it involves drugs. Yes. And... Including um, a mixture for himself. Remember what he Oh my like, god, he just like always tries like LSD. He's yeah. like, yeah, I'm just. I don't know. He's such a sweet character. Like, I feel like there are some episodes where the experiments that he does on people just doesn't really. Yeah. Like the time that he interacted with uh, Michael. 
where he like tried to play music and like give him toys and I was like okay this could seem easy but I know there was another one where he like drilled into someone's head and I feel like oh, yeah, you just the, don't in the first season where he yeah. like yeah oh yeah because he experimented on that dude earlier in his life <laughs> mm -hmm. on like a college experiment well, but like on the other hand he learns Astrid's name eventually yeah so he I mean <laughs> he does get there but I can't say that a lot of the people who he have experimented on have like come out of it being like okay that was good you know I don't I, I can't think of a single person yeah that I, would say hey you know that, that was uh, helpful yeah it feels good and not great. traumatized by it uh I can't say I would. In a pinch, because I believe him. Like, it, like when he jumps into action, I, I believe what he says. Like, if yeah. he's like, yeah, let's do this, but also, like... No, in the very first episode, Olivia, you know, he got Olivia to jump in a tank and yeah. have a wire in her neck, so I... Did yeah, he also shoot her up like, with psychotropics? Or yes, was it? yeah, yeah. yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, I do, I do remember that. She was like, what are you doing? Well, she has her own psionic thing going on because of the, the initial experiment that he did on her as, as well. A when he was a right, which is so, revealed later, but... And, and I feel like, you know, whenever you have, like, an older scientist who's like, I got my lab back, you know? Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, there's yes, going to be a really awkward unveiling of, like, oh, yeah, oh, and I also used to experiment on you when you were a child. Yeah. No big deal. Yeah. But you might have some mild psionic abilities. No. And I feel like her reaction to that was very normal. She was pissed at him. Was like, how the fuck would you do this to kids? Yeah, right. And it was horrible. I mean, she went through, like, a bunch of her past memories, and it was terrifying. What was her boyfriend's name again from the first season? John. Smith, right? Or whatever? Um... No, Scott. John Scott. John, John Scott, yeah. So the whole John Scott thing, too, like, mm -hmm. I, I felt like with her ability to kind of tap into the beyond, which mm -hmm. they, they are fading memories from John Scott in her own mind from what yeah. I can only call a mind meld. Yeah. Again, shout out Leonard Nimoy. I thought that that was interesting. I think it's a foreshadowing and precursor to the nature of her abilities and, like, the yeah. fact that she was experimenting on. So, like, the series, like, when you think of a series, like Lost or something else, you know, like, although I feel like the end of Lost was a bit of a cop-out, it, it is a great overall, like, you have to watch it from cover to cover yeah, in order to really get the scope of things, so mm -hmm. yeah. I will definitely be putting a second look into that. Uh, do you believe in alternate realities or timelines? Um, I definitely think that, I can't say I believe in it, but I think it's just such an interesting premise. I sure. I love the idea that like every time we make a decision, that you know there is one version that like kind of we have another split off. And I mean, there are definitely times where I'm like, oh, I wonder if you know this thing had gone differently. Well, and, speak, speaking of that, we, they exist within our own minds. Yeah. You know, the, uh, the, sure. the what if playout scenario is you creating an alternate dimension in your own mind, right. whether or not it has any basis in this reality is yet to remain to be seen but yeah I, I think that ultimately you know like when we have a limited perception of reality based on our sensory inputs mm -hmm. just like of, of this bio body suit yeah and the fact that we can scientifically measure things that we cannot physically perceive or individually perceive coupled with the nature of collective consciousness or reality mm -hmm. and then the nature of deja vu or even premonitions or like guys like philip k dick who mm -hmm. had straight up audiovisual 
trips into what he called alternate realities. I mean, like yeah. that's, that's the impetus of the man in the high castle. Yeah. It, it's uh, it's always been a very fascinating thing for me to consider alternate timelines because yeah. what is deja vu? If it's something that like like how do we even tap into that? Because they say like okay, well based on your experiences and patterns in life, you're predicting something subconsciously that then happens to come to pass in a similar way. Mm -hmm. But have you ever experienced deja vu with like literal verbatim verbiage from a conversation where it leads in and you're like, oh, oh, I know what you're saying. That's yeah. where I remember this from. Like this has happened before. Yeah, it's it's a weird feeling, but I've just sort of like shrugged it off. I don't think I've done like enough research or looking into. By research, do you mean hallucinogens? Like, have you done hallucinogens or anything like that? Like to fuck with your percept, like your frequency of receiving mm. reality? No, I haven't. Don't let people know that I haven't done shrooms. Mary. I know. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll get all on right. it. I'm well, right we're, after we're gonna get on I'm that. actually just gonna yeah. 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 Good thing I brought all these. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. I'm gonna. Yeah. I'm a regular Hunter S. Thompson tonight. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll have you believing in alternate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Mary, what's coming up in your comedy schedule? I mean, I know, I know you're Mike and stuff, but you're yeah. on showcases. Let's hear about it. Yes, I have a couple of showcases coming up on December 23rd. I will be at uh, It Gets Dark okay. at the Shanghai Tunnels. And nice. Is, is that Caitlin or? Yeah, Kate yeah. Shock. Uh, she's great. I just met her. Um, I think she's newer to the comedy scene. Yeah, but she's she's killing it and super oh, yeah. friendly and funny. Oh my god, yeah, she's, she's great. Yes. Um, and then I will also be on. Uh, you ought to know on December tenth at that, the fourth wall. Oh, the fourth wall. Yeah, mm -hmm. totally. Yeah. So that's all I got lined up for right now, but. Cool. Yeah, those are. I'm very excited for those shows. I, those are two that I kind of have to make new set lists for. So, and that's well, be... that's always a great exercise too. Yeah. I yeah, mean, I, I know that I've been tired of my material before, which mm. is like a definite, yeah. you know, like gear starters. To be like, hey, I should write some new shit, right? Right. Uh, so that's cool. I look forward to it. You can see all of Mary's upcoming stuff at Mary on Instagram. Hey, uh, thanks for hanging out. I yeah, appreciate of course. it. Thank you for having me. This has been awesome. Yeah, I love we're going to hit this My Father's Place mic here in a minute, oh, I'm yeah. sure. And then uh, Fun House Lounge for uh, Billy Chambers. It's his birthday today. They're doing a birthday mm. show over at Underbar, but also a show at Fun House Lounge followed by the Midnight Mic. So mm -hmm. big old Friday in store. Oh, yeah. yeah, a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. All right. All right. Well, cool. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. See you. By the way, what you heard throughout the interview was me chomping down on some tasty chicken strips and fries that were hot out the kitchen over at my father's place, so definitely check out that stacked menu and then stay for the laughs. Well, at least on Friday, starting at 9, with Mike sign-ups at 8.30. Oh man, that sound can only mean one thing. It's an incoming transmission from the Conspiracy Corner. That's right folks, you're definitely going to want to bust out your conspiracy diapers for this one. 
Now, for the fringe division of the Department of Homeland Security to actually exist seems like a bit of a stretch, what with having to coordinate massive efforts seamlessly between government and corporate interests while maintaining the illusion that those interests coincide with the betterment of mankind. Wait, why does that sound familiar? Is it because that's exactly what's going on in real life? Also, J.J. Abrams is totally a psyop. Just throwing that out there with nothing to back it up but the very obvious messages he's sending directly to me with all of those lens flares. Okay, so as we all know, the shadow government is a family of theories based on the notion that real and actual political power resides not only with publicly elected representatives, but with private individuals who are exercising power behind the scenes, beyond the scrutiny of democratic institutions. According to this belief, the official elected government is subservient to the shadow government, which is the true executive power. Some of the groups proposed by these theories as constituting the shadow government include central banks, Freemasons, intelligence agencies, think tanks, the Vatican, Jesuits or Catholics in general, as well as secret societies, moneyed interests, and globalist elites and supernatural organizations who seek to manipulate policy in their own interest or in order to serve a larger agenda that is hidden from the general public. Literature on the subject, which is a term I use lightly here, postulates the existence of a secret government which is the true power behind the apparent government. Examples of such literature include works by Dan Smoot, William Guy Carr, Jim Morris, Carol Quigley, Gary Allen, Alex Jones, Des Griffin, G. Edward Griffin, David Icke, and Michael A. Hoffman II. Some of these authors believe members of the secret government may represent or be agents for groups such as the Council on Foreign Relations, the United Nations, the Royal Institute for International Affairs, the Tavistock Institute, the Trilateral Commission, the Club of Rome, the Bilderberg Group, the World Health Organization, George Soros and the Koch brothers, in cooperation with international banks and financial institutions such as the World Bank, International Monetary Fund, and the Bank for International Settlements. Also popularizing the idea was the hit television show The X-Files and of course subsequently on Fringe. But that doesn't necessarily mean that there are semi-rogue elements within our government agencies that investigate the paranormal at the behest of the U.S. military-industrial complex using taxpayer dollars through a series of black-budget spreadsheets, right? Right? Wrong! Enter Project Monarch and Project Blue Book, plus the Majestic 12, which if those names sound familiar, then you probably already have on a conspiracy diaper. Another name that should sound familiar then as a known quantity in the shadow government realm is Kathy O'Brien, who is an American conspiracy theorist and author who claims to have been a victim of a government mind control program called Project Monarch, which she alleges was part of the CIA's Project MKUltra and Project Artichoke. O'Brien made these assertions in Transformation of America and Access Denied for reasons of national security both of which she co-authored with her husband, Mark Phillips, where she alleges that she was forced by the CIA to participate in Project Monarch. According to O'Brien, under hypnosis, she was able to recall memories of sexual abuse of both herself and her daughter by international pedophile rings, drug barons, and Satanists who allegedly used a form of trauma-based mind control programming to make her a sex slave. It all sounds fairly QAnon if you ask me, but that's a conspiracy nut for another day. According to scholars, there is no credible evidence for O'Brien's claim, and there are numerous inconsistencies with her story. Which is just what those government spooks want you to think. 
Then we have Project Blue Book, which is the code name for the systematic study of unidentified flying objects by the United States Air Force from March 1952 to its termination on December 17, 1969. Nice. The project, headquartered at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio, was initially directed by Captain Edward J. Ruppel and followed projects of a similar nature such as Project Sign established in 1947 and Project Grudge in 1948. Project Blue Book had two goals, namely to determine if UFOs were a threat to national security and to scientifically analyze UFO-related data. Thousands of UFO reports were collected, analyzed, and filed, and as a result of the Condon Report, which concluded that the study of UFOs was unlikely to yield major scientific discoveries, and a review of the report by the National Academy of Sciences, Project Blue Book was terminated in 1969. The Air Force supplied the following summary of its investigations. One, no UFO reported, investigated, and evaluated by the Air Force was ever an indication of threat to our national security. Two, there was no quote-unquote evidence submitted to or discovered by the Air Force that sightings categorized as quote-unquote identified represented technological developments or principles beyond the range of modern scientific knowledge. And three, there was no evidence indicating that sightings categorized as quote-unquote unidentified were extraterrestrial in origin. By the time Project Blue Book ended, it had collected 12,618 UFO reports and concluded that most of them were misidentifications of natural phenomenon, i.e. clouds, stars, etc., or even conventional aircraft. According to the National Reconnaissance Office, a number of the reports could be explained by flights of the formerly secret reconnaissance planes U-2 and A-12. 701 reports were classified as unexplained even after stringent analysis. The UFO reports were archived and are available under the Freedom of Information Act, but names and other personal information of all witnesses have been redacted. Ah yes, love a good redacted document. And don't even get me started on the men in black and how the observers look and act just like those fuckers who probably are future humans trying to ensure that either our timeline goes a certain way or they're trying to stop a certain timeline. I don't know, whatever the hell they're up to. They are creepy. But who were the actual G-men behind all of this wooey-woo-dom? That would be the Majestic 12, also known as MJ-12 for short, which is a purported organization that appears in UFO conspiracy theories. The organization is claimed to be the codename of an alleged secret committee of scientists, military leaders, and government officials formed in 1947 by way of executive order by then U.S. President Harry S. Truman to facilitate the recovery and investigation of alien spacecraft. The concept originated in a series of supposedly leaked secret documents first circulated by ufologists in 1984. By the way, if you're unfamiliar with that term, a ufologist is somebody who studies UFOs, aka a man who's very likely behind on his rent. Upon examination, the FBI declared the documents to be like, quote-unquote, completely bogus, and many ufologists consider them to be an elaborate hoax. Majestic 12 remains popular among some UFO conspiracy theorists, and the concept has appeared in popular culture including television, film, and literature. The following individuals were described in the Majestic 12 documents as the quote-unquote designated members of Majestic 12. We have Lloyd Berkner, Detley Bronk, Vannevar Bush, James Forrestal, Gordon Gray, Roscoe A. Hillencoder, Jerome Clark Hunsicker, Donald H. Menzel, Robert M. Montague, Sidney Sowers, Nathan F. Twinning, and Hoyt Vanderberg. 
Now, these names are a smattering of some of the deepest set government, military intelligence, and industrial figures to haunt the halls of the Pentagon, FBI, CIA, White House, and various safe houses to garrote a patsy in the shadows. Long story short, and this is a way longer story than the breadcrumbs I've just laid out, but the government can and does have clandestine levels to their operations that we the public are simply not aware of, and will likely never be made aware of no matter how many whistleblowing attempts are made. And yeah, it might help if it wasn't just a man on the corner blowing into a broken whistle while shouting about how the aliens at Dulce Base are telepathically telling him the secrets to alchemy, and that he needs to adjust the antenna in his molar so the mothership can beam him out as soon as it passes on its way to Rigel 7 for the big alien convention. But before we hitch that ride, I do want to add in on the conspiracy end of things. Pay attention to the beginning of each episode and the commercial breaks that are peppered in throughout. You're going to see some glyphs, and those glyphs correspond to actual letters in the alphabet and spell out words that are unique to each episode and the content there within. So definitely keep your eyes peeled for that. And I'll make sure to post the cipher on social media. Since the government is most probably listening in, I guess I'll thank my sources for today's episode, including ScreenRant.com, IMDB.com, AboveTopSecret.com, TheBlackVault.com, and of course Wikipedia.com. Because if it's on Wikipedia, it was likely put there as part of a far-reaching psyop aimed at gaslighting you into believing you're being gang-stalked by mechanical drones shaped like birds. I'd also like to thank my lovely wife Amanda for providing the facts for this week's episode. Next week, we have another great episode lined up with guest comedian and host of Not Another Goddamn Horror podcast, Ryan Danley, where we get into Phantasm for the Ha Ha Harvest Festival at the Fourth Wall PDX as part of Slasher Saturdays hosted by Michael Garcia, who we opened up season two with a trip down the rabbit hole into altered states. Definitely check that episode out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and the Shady Pines Radio Archives. You can catch that Ha Ha Harvest Festival episode on Phantasm airing Tuesday, November 29th from 8 to 9 a.m. only on Shady Pines Radio. Download the free Shady Pines Radio app for iOS and Android today for access to 24-7 content from Portland's own community-driven radio experience. Alrighty, how's about a set from Mary at Derby Kenton over in North Portland? Enjoy! Jizz. Um, I just, I, uh, I have a question, and, um, it's, why, why, why do dudes give a fuck if we swallow their cum? <laughs> like, here's the thing, alright? You've already came. If there's if there's a load, sir, if there's a load in your mouth, this is my dad, by the way. Uh, if, if it sounds like the job is done, right? It's all about possession. Right? <laughs> yeah. okay. Now you're heckling. Okay. Uh, no, but like, here's the thing: if the job is done, I'm dropping the act. Like, I'm off the clock. I'm not gonna, not doing it anymore. And, um, yeah, I think that people, I'm not trying to be like sex negative or anything. It's just, it's, it's overhyped. It's goo. 
It's just goo. And there's no need to like put a bow on it or sugarcoat it, even though that'd probably make it taste better. <laughs> Plus that's like sick ass band name, Sugarcoated Tom. <laughs> it's fucking cool. All right. Uh, yeah, my parents are here. That's really cool. This is gonna, this is gonna be, well, I'm gonna see how long it takes me to walk them. Uh, <laughs> I once said the word masturbate in front of my mom and she threatened to call the police. <laughs> Uh, honestly surprised they're still here. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I've been dating, and um, it's it's been fun, but and it's a good time. But I I realize that I really hate it when people meet my parents, and uh, I the last time I the last time I saw like I took someone to meet my parents. Uh, we were leaving, I thought it went really well. And he goes, hey, have you ever seen an ugly dad with a pretty daughter and wonder how it happened? And I think dating's hard now because guys just don't compliment me like that anymore. <laughs> like I want someone who will compliment me, but also insult my dad. Uh, I, I, I told that joke at an open mic one time and um, I was like oh I wish more people would insult my dad and then he like yelled out he was like yeah fuck your dad I was like oh and then he escalated it and he was like I'm gonna kill your dad and uh, I, I thought it was kind of funny and but they kicked him out before I could get his number <laughs> No, me and my dad have a good relationship. Uh, <laughs> um, he was there when I bought my first pregnancy test. By accident, uh, he just ended up in the same aisle as me. I was like, oh my God, I did like a little flip. I was like, I'm looking at the leak-proof underwear. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. When I was about 17, I worked at a retirement home in the dining room as a server, and um, it was it was pretty fun. But we had this regular who would sit in the dining room and he would sit behind a pillar and he would watch porn on his iPhone with the sound on. <laughs> and um, I don't know if you guys uh, have ever had this happen, but it is it is a bit difficult to explain the specials of the evening over uh, cheeks clapping. <laughs> um, uh, it kind of it goes like this. We have spaghetti and uh, beef stroganoff, I mean stroganoff. And it's probably not his fault. He had dementia and really bad like eyesight and everything. So he was probably just like thinking it was a fun new app. And, um, he seemed pretty confused when we kept going up to him like, hey, can you turn that off? Can you put it, can you like watch this in your room maybe? Can you send me the link? <laughs> but yeah. Um, I've been trying to live pretty environmentally conscious. Um, it's been going well. I've been, you know, recycling, saving water, energy, 
all that stuff. But um, sometimes I'm reminded that it's, it is a different way of living. And sometimes it can be a little bit inconvenient. Like, um, I, I was trying to kill myself. And um, I pulled the car into the garage, left it going. Wants to take a little nap forever. Thank you for smiling so much. I love it. <laughs> She's like, ah, fuck yeah, she was. Um, no, but uh, a couple hours later, I woke up and I remembered I drive an electric car. <laughs> but uh, it was a Chevy Bolt. So luckily, as I was thinking that, the battery caught fire. <laughs> Hey folks, this is Michael Phelps, host of Father's Favorites and the Comedy Open Mic at my father's place, conveniently located at 523 Southeast Grand Avenue in Portland, Oregon. Mic sign-ups are Fridays at 8.30 p.m. Come on by for some awesome breakfast food, great drinks, and the best comedians Portland and the Pacific Northwest has to offer. In the meantime, make sure you follow Science Factual on the socials. That's at Science Factual Pod, as well as Shady Pines Radio for amazing content 24 hours a day, 8 days a week. Download the app today wherever you procure your apps. listening to ShadyPinesRadio.com. Here's the lineup for Tuesday. Starting at 8 a.m., Science Factual with Reese Hendrick. At 9 a.m., Emotional Weather Report with Jamie Stewart. Beat Salad with Mason O'Brien at 11 a.m. At noon, The Blue Hour with Blue Corviday. Northwest Comedy Hour with Emily June at 1 p.m. At 2 p.m., The Prague Hour with Reagan Lindy. Your own private PDX with DJ Squiffy at 3 p.m. At 4 p.m., Cosmic Taco Beach Shack with Big Papa Warrior. No Dancing Please with L. Ron Hubbard at 5 p.m. At 6 p.m., Anything New with Shorty L. Toasty Tunes with Alex Toast at 7 p.m. At 8 p.m., Radio Seance with Your Psychic Friends. At 9 p.m., Fresh Unoriginal with DJ Wineglass. Turntable Talk with Chili and Bass at 10 p.m. And at 11 p.m., Taking Drugs to Play Music to Take Drugs to with Shampoo Douglas. No matter the day or time, you've picked the right time to listen in. Thanks for listening, and tell others. Shit.